Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me in the hot seat is a special guest by the name of Eric Nero. And let me tell you a little bit about Eric. So Eric is, you know, he first, he believes in five Fs that create harmony, which are one's faith, fitness, family, friends, and finances can lead to a more fulfilled life. Eric created First Step Wealth Planning to help his clients experience their ideal lives through creating greater confidence in their financial lives while removing the barriers and conflicts of interest that exist at other firms. I'm sure you've been there. Professionally, Eric has been helping families make smart decisions with their money for over 20 years. He has held positions in wealth management for families and institutions at a variety of large multinational firms and has had the privilege of getting to know the stories, desires, and dreams of hundreds of clients. The privilege has been both educational and rewarding. Eric is grateful to have learned from so many wonderful people, which led him to realize what matters most to people is their time and their ability to live the life they want. He has narrowed his focus to work with those that have achieved financial abundance, who seek greater simplicity in their lives so that they can spend more time on what's more important to them. So really just helping them connect inwardly so they're not just going through the hustle and bustle, y'all. Eric is also a husband of over 20 years to his wife, Nicole. They have three children and a chocolate Labrador. Although he has spent many years of his career in New York City, Eric and his family have made a home in Saratoga Springs, New York. He is a native of New York's Hudson Valley region and a graduate of Siena College. He believes Um, being present and involved in many activities his children participate in, as well as the art, culture, restaurant, and activities that are abundant in Saratoga Springs. So you know a little bit more about Eric. Let's welcome him to the platform. Welcome, Eric. Well, Genesis, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. My pleasure. And Eric, since um, your bio covered quite a bit, I'm not sure if you want to do rapid fire, which is a 10 question game, or if you would like to break the ice. Let's do break the ice. Okay. So I want you to share something crazy that you have done in your life or a fun and interesting fact about yourself that your followers don't know and definitely not mine. Uh, That's an interesting question so where to start um i think i'll go with i think i'll go with crazy and um you know the thing that comes to mind to me as far as crazy because i think hindsight is is a really good perspective here but when i was in college um you know i was out with my friends and we were at a place that i didn't really want to be at uh i wasn't having the best time but i saw this girl who was there who i'd seen on campus just one other time 
and very atypical of me. I, I, you know, I, I was not the person to go walk up and just talk to girls, but I just unconsciously walked over because I had recognized her and just started talking. And that's Nicole. And so we've been married for 21 years. It was a crazy risk. I would never really, I, I never would do that. I never did that. But it was a crazy risk that paid off and ended up being the best thing that's ever happened uh, to me. So yeah, that's probably the craziest thing that's led to something that has really put me to where I am today. Oh, that's amazing. And thank you for breaking the ice, Eric. And I'm so glad that you just had the urge, the gut instinct, and you stuck with it and you walked over and talked to Nicole because here y'all are, um, 20 years in the game, three children, and just doing life together. That's just amazing. Yep. So like I said, worked out well, but a big risk. I would, like I said, never have done that before. So So now we're going to segue into the meat and potatoes of the conversation. Why is money important? And I want to understand what is the emotional value that we have with money and how can that help us with the five F's that you speak on? Because if you don't know what your relationship with money is and how that ties back emotionally, you can easily go off the beaten path with money because you're not going to be a good steward of your finances or the abundance that you have. And for example, let's think about that TV show with all the people who have won the lottery, but now they are flat broke. Yep. Yep. So you bring up something very interesting there. Um, You know, money is a very, very personal thing to each and every person, everybody learns about money a slightly different way. And there really isn't any formal education for people when it comes to money. Um, And so one of the things that I found as being a practitioner for, for almost 25 years now, is that the industry itself, when it comes to helping people with their savings and, and, you know, accomplishing whatever financial goals they have, they're, they've been very good as an industry to provide a tremendous amount of services to people. But what's been lacking has been the care. And the care really needs to be there and the services need to be able to support that care. So you had mentioned the five Fs, which is really kind of my reason for existing. So it's, it's part of how it is that I guide, how I do things. It's how I brought First Step Wealth Planning into existence. And so it really starts with, you know, faith of believing of something greater than, than us. And then looking at mental and physical fitness to making sure that our bodies and minds are are healthy and working appropriately, our relationships with our family, our relationships with our friends. And then lastly, our relationships with our finances, our money. And so you can't balance those things, but you can harmonize them. And so what I find is the first four, faith, fitness, family and friends, those are things people can't delegate. And they all take time. Each of those five things take time. We only have 24 hours in every single day. And we have a tremendous amount of competing priorities, goals, needs, wants. All of these things are part of our daily routine. There's things we have to do. There's things we want to do. There's things that we're responsible for doing. What I tend to find is, and in my experience and looking 
at this through how clients have kind of progressed through various stages of being able to, to move to their purpose, their money really creates discretionary time for them. That time they can use to enhance their faith, spend time with their friends and family, spend time on getting themselves mentally and physically fit because they can't delegate those four things. You and I can't delegate. Those are personal to us. And if we want to have greater fulfillment and a greater sense of purpose, those relationships that we have with other people, friends and family, our relationship with a higher power and our ability to be able to, you know, have endurance and, and you know, be well and eat well and feel well, those are all really purpose-based items. And it starts with really getting in touch with values. So money is important, right? It may not be the only thing, but it does touch everything in our lives. And so getting a handle for what, you know, what is important about money to you really kind of gets in touch with the values that that person has and their thoughts, reasoning, and experiences with, with money. And so for each and every person, that's a little bit different. And that's why, like I had said, the industry of private wealth has been very good at providing services and saying, okay, we can make that $100 savings more and we can do it better or quicker, or we can do it for less money or all of the above. But the first step that needs to be considered is who's the person that that service is, look, is there to, uh, to help support? What's that goal? And what is that? What is their value system? So it really comes down to, you know, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So the first need is, all right, we have to feel safe. We have to have our basic needs met. You know, we want to be able to make sure that we can survive. And then, you know, just very broadly speaking, the next is, okay, we want to take care of those that are important to us. And then very far afield, it's self-actualization, right? What's our purpose? That's the unique thing about human beings. Where we have an ability to think about you know, the future and what our purpose and what this life is, is all about. And so irrespective of how much money you have in the bank, we're all on that same hierarchy. And so whether it's a, you know, Elon Musk levels of wealth or not, it's you know, we're all human. We're all feeling the same types of emotions and we all want and need the same types of, of things. How does money help support giving us the time that we really want to be able to do that? And so from my perspective as a practitioner, it's really trying to help clients get in touch with what that is for them. And conversations I have with folks are very different than maybe they're accustomed to when they're talking to a quote unquote financial advisor. Because yeah. in, a, in a lot of cases, you say those two words together and people are like, you know, they take a step back. Okay. Are they going to sell something? Okay. Are they trying to offer me insurance or investments or both? You know, am I going to have to pay them? And even more important than that, people are like, well, that's a complicated subject. I don't spend a lot of time on it. I don't want this person to judge me or tell me that I'm doing things wrong or that the stuff I could do is, you know, could be done better. I mean, nobody wants to feel that kind of shame or guilt uh, with respect to interacting with a financial professional who can help them. And so, I find that if there's an opportunity to work first on the person and help get and help them clarify, because I need to know it too as a practitioner, okay, what is important and why? And then work into, all right, what are the tangible things that you want to do? And then how are you going to feel once you get them done? Absolutely. And I'm going to chime in there. To that. Oh, wait, yeah. sorry. Sorry, one second. 
Eric. So one thing that I want to chime in and say is sometimes we often make decisions based off of our emotions. So if you think about money and the approach that you have is different because you're tying in with who that person is and you're helping them reverse engineer it. Whereas a traditional financial advisor, they're telling you what the vehicles are to steward your, your finances. But if you don't already have a good relationship with money, then you're not going to be able to effectively steward the vehicles that they give you because something is going to be missing because those vehicles may not necessarily tie with your personal values that play into your emotions, in my opinion. So I think that the work that you're doing, plus the work that a traditional financial advisor is doing, I think they both need to be combined in order to see um, the success that someone has when it comes to their relationship with the money and how they begin to look at the big picture. Because if we just look at a piece of the pie versus the whole pie, then we're still missing a very valuable component, in my opinion. Would you agree or disagree, Eric? I agree entirely with that, especially with the combination between the two, because you know, when it comes to this, we're working with people that are not numbers. They have lives, they have needs, they have wants, they have dreams, they have aspirations. And like I said before, money touches everything. So money is going to play a role in how they're able to accomplish those things. And so to your point, um, there's plenty of vehicles out there that people can choose to use. Let's say, you know, they can jump in that car and drive themselves to where they want to be. Um, But, you know, moving from A to B is not the, it's the journey between those two points. And can you make it? Because I mean, now the market's been very, very volatile. And so that's a very, very fearful thing. And, you know, everybody's scared. I mean, nobody likes loss. And, you know, loss hurts more than a gain. And there's all the psychological studies that go along with that. So being able to really tie it together and say, well, here's where you need to be and where you need to be at, at this point. And that's not to say that things in the market can't change the way things are, because it does, it's dynamic. But it helps with respect to keeping in context and perspective when things like what's going on right now actually happen. Because you know some of the common mistakes, especially for those that maybe don't have either good guidance or no guidance, or they just don't have somebody that knows or understands them all that well, they're bombarded with so many different messages and they're all contradictory to one another. And it's just a big fog of noise. And so I tend to find if somebody can really get in touch with their values, and it takes time because not everybody goes through that exercise. In fact, most people don't. And so it does take time and self kind of actualization to, to kind of get there. But once there, that fog of noise is lifted and they don't have to listen to every headline and everything that's broadcast to them because so much of that, and I have stories to share about you know, how the financial media manipulates along with media in general, uh, you know, especially when times of fear, because fear is a very strong, very motivating human emotion. And, you know, here we are in the midst of that, but having a good plan with good services underneath it to support where they need to go, that's based on what they can handle and their thoughts and, and feelings about money. That's, that's all of it right there. 
Yeah, and one um, thing that I've done with myself first, and then my husband has his own viewpoint, but then we pair both of our ideas together so we could make sure that we're stewarding our finances effectively is I always ask myself, what is my why? Because I allow my why to tie back to my mission and my purpose. Then I do a T-chart method. Is it a want versus is it a need? Because before I got with my husband, I, I came from oil and gas and you get paid very well in oil and gas. I was in the industry for 12 years. And I'm like, if I have the money, I'm going to go buy it. But then I had to ask myself, Genesis, is this a want or is this a need? Are you trying to keep up with the Joneses or are you really trying to buy this because it is filling a void? And it's all it's very hard to bucket your wants versus your needs sometimes, especially if you have the financial means to go out and obtain it. Like, for example, cars. I love cars. And I had never paid off a car in my life until I met my husband because Anytime I saw a new car, I would get it. And I didn't realize that, okay, the car is going to depreciate and then I'm going to be upside down. So it wasn't until I got with my husband who he's more frugal and disciplined. He's like, Erks, no, no more cars. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just need it. I just need the bells and whistles. I need the new technology. I need it to be fast and et cetera. But it just also goes to show how our mind can easily be conditioned by, by media, peer influence, and et cetera. And all I need is a car that is reliable, that will get me from point A to point B. I don't need all the fancy bells and whistles because before that was invented, what were we using? We were using the old school stuff. So why are we just running after the new shiny things? And then um, I also looked at, you know, my holistic values, which is mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So from a spiritual perspective, it's like you take your 10% and you pay your tithes and stuff. Then you take another 10% and you pay yourself, which is like your savings and et cetera. Then the rest of the 80% is what you live off of. But if you can pay everything else, but you forget to pay yourself, then how are you, you know, effectively stewarding yourself? And that has helped me. I'm definitely not an expert. I'm a millennial, so I'm still learning. And then I recently tried the snowball and the avalanche method where my goal is to be financially free. So versus, you know, going to university off the bat, which I went to UT for a little bit and I came home, I ended up going to a community college, Eric, and I took my basics there, not by choice, but because my parents made me. But then looking at whenever I graduated from college and having changed my major once, um, I look at the amount of debt that I came out of college with in comparison to my friends, and I didn't have that six-figure plus debt. I only had five fingers, and that was hard to tell my husband when we were getting married. Oh, by the way, you're marrying me with five fingers. And I said it really quick because that's a hard conversation, yeah. and you have to look at those different things because realistically, those are things that's going to follow you, and you can't get out of not paying Uncle Sam student loans or just like IRS. So I think all of those things are important but if you don't have like a relationship or you don't understand certain things or your family is not financially savvy then you're going to fall behind and the other thing I want to interject because I think it's within your line of work is 
Think about whenever you have your offspring, so your children, instead of putting them in bad debt, put them in good debt, like put their name on a credit card where they're actually building their credit. So whenever they hit 18 or whatnot, they have a good line of credit and et cetera. Um, look at ways that you're building generational wealth for your children and et cetera. And these are all things that we need to be thinking about that society is not teaching us, but they want to teach you, oh, at 18, get this credit card. But what happens when that kid doesn't know or know how to effectively spend that credit card and they charge it up? I think you've nailed uh, a ton of different topics there. I'll you know I'll use the, the the last one with respect to the credit card. You're absolutely right. You've in, I'd be interested to know who taught you the values of money and how you got there. Because I mean, paying yourself first and having that system that you have that actually puts you head and shoulders above so many others. Because you know the average American, I mean, the the numbers are staggering. I mean, the average American undersaves for retirement, is not prepared for retirement, is not saving, is basically living paycheck to paycheck their entire lives. Um, and so, you know, the financial independence, retire early movement, it, it's, a, it, you know, and I think just at least from my perspective, it's been around for a while, but it seems that it's been gaining a lot more momentum now uh, as the millennial generation is saying, hey, you know what? I'm not interested in 120 hour weeks. I just want to be able to live my life and live comfortably. And so, you know, from that perspective, there's a, there's this, there's this push and pull because when it comes to the credit cards, right, there's all the advertising, there's all the keeping up with the Joneses, there's all the marketing that is bombarding children from a very, very young age. And so when they do have the opportunity to get a credit card in their own name, and if they haven't been appropriately educated and taught that, right, this is money you have to pay back and look at the rate of interest and how it works, what a monthly payment is and how long it would take you to pay it back if you just paid the minimum payment, that you know, they're not thinking that way, all right? And they're just going to slap down that card and buy whatever it is they want for, you know, purchases rather than saving that money. And to your point, Genesis, it's, you know, why buy a depreciating asset? If you can buy assets as quickly as you can with as little savings as you have, and you just let it compound, then you're going to see a tremendous amount of wealth. I mean, even Warren Buffett has said, you know, the greatest power in the world is, is compound interest. And Warren Buffett himself, you know, over 80 billion of his net worth didn't come until after he hit 65 because of the compounding effect of investing. And so it grows exponentially over time. But it's also, you know, do I want one cookie? now or two cookies 10 minutes from now, right? It's, it's delayed gratification and it's hard to do when there's other social pressures that once again, get all wrapped up in how much money do I have? You know, can I afford it? Do I need it? What are my needs and wants? And I think you putting together that chart is really instrumental in helping clarify your why, like you said. And I think more people should, should do that and take the time to be able to, to kind of bring that to the surface so they understand, all right, where's my money going? Because I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people. It's like, I, they don't even know where their money's going. All right, let's start there. <laughs> All right, what are you spending it on? And what do you need? And in today's world where everything's subscription-based, it's very easy to get a situation where you wake up a year from now and you're like, where did $800 go this month? It's all these subscriptions. How often do you actually use those things? How many times are you viewing streaming on whatever the streaming service that you're paying $15, $20 a month for? And, you know, I did that exercise with a client a number of years ago because she came to me. I was like, you know, hey, you know, and she had retired and she's like, you know, 
that budget that we've worked out doesn't seem to be working so well. And so when we just wrote down everything that was going on, it's like, okay, well, you did this, 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 and this. And it was, she had fantastic credit, but it was all borrowed. And so the monthly payments got really, really high. And so what we did is, okay, we just kind of reconfigured things, got rid of some of that stuff and got our monthly budget back on track. But until it got written down, she was like, yeah, at the end of the meeting, she's like, I had no idea that that was the issue. I just didn't know where everything was going. And she was very organized, but it's perspective, right? It's, it's hard to see things outside of our own perspective. We need third-party perspective. And that's why I really think that guidance, financial guidance is so critical because it's uniquely human. And when we're talking about big decisions like this, even if it is setting aside $100 a month to, to put into your IRA or 401k, that's still a very big decision. It may be a small seed now, but 25 years from now, it's going to be a huge oak. And you're going to be so glad that you made that decision. My point is this. If you have a person who knows you well enough that can tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear in a way that you'll listen constructively, that's the value of advice. And that's the advice, the, the, the value of having a guide like a financial advisor over a long period of time, because you'll develop that. All right. I know that person. I know their tendencies. I know how they tend to think because I've seen them in these types of environments. And then, you know, you have every right to be like, all right, hold up, time out. All right. I know you want that. That's a $95,000 automobile. Okay. You know, if you get that, which you can in there, you know, in certain cases, what does it mean later on? And, you know, what's the utility of it? Let's get to the why. I'm never here to talk anybody out of those kinds of things, but let's just keep it real and say, what does that mean longer term to you? And what else could you have done with that? And does that fit your, like you had said, Genesis, does it fit your why? And how does that factor into your overall plan for things? Absolutely. And the one thing that I'll add on here is um, whenever I bought my first home, I think I was 22. So in 2013 ish, I realized, okay, yes, it's nice to have the nice car, but you can't live in your car. Well, you can, but it's not going to be comfortable. So why not invest in a home where you're going to get equity and et cetera. And, you know, you make your home, your home. And it, it, de it definitely helped me shift perspectives. And, you know, I'm first generation American. So I learned a lot from my older, my older siblings. And, you know, my brother was just like me, he had all the nicest cars. And I always was like trying to keep up. But I was like, he worked hard for that. Like, you know, he had expat assignments and etc. And my, my mom kept telling me, hey, you're, you're different than your brother or whatnot. And you don't always have to like go through this competitive thing. But I, I tell young people that are in my age group is if you buy it now, are you going to be enslaved to it later on? Because are you just going to be working to pay for it? And are you really going to enjoy it? Because if you're going to be enslaved to it, then you're going to have resentment and you're not going to truly enjoy it. And that's a lot of times when the buyer remorse creeps in and people never talk to them or give them the hard, the hard truth until it's too late, until after you already signed your name on the line and you have obligations to fulfill because what happens if you don't pay for that, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, it's interesting, automobiles, right? There, there's so many things that go into there's, you know, a status and things of that nature. But the really interesting thing about automobiles is, um, and I forget what study it was, but I read this somewhere that people who notice 
like kind of the, the, the expensive cars, they're not noticing necessarily the driver of that car. They're thinking inwardly and saying, I would like to drive. I, I want to experience what that car looks like. So it's for certain cases, if you want, you know, people to notice, you know, cause that's, the, that's the desire, right? Okay. I want to have this, this item that will give me um, some type of validation with respect to status symbol or, okay, I've achieved this worked hard for it. Um, but people who are observing them are not necessarily observing them as people in the car. They're looking at it as, Oh, okay, well, I want to aspire to get to that car too. And it's, it's not necessarily the attention that maybe the owner thought that it would be. Um, and just, you know, one, one, one type of, um, one type of uh, an example, but it gets right back to my original point, which is what's your relationship with money and what's important about money to you. And that's different for, for everyone, but you know, there's behaviors, right? Um, what do those behaviors look like? How are those behaviors put there? And how did you learn those behaviors? You learned them from somebody. All of us learn from observing or, or in some way, shape or form, the types of behaviors that we exhibit with respect to, to money. Um, and it comes down to personality too, so. And the last thing I wanna interject before I let you close us out, Eric, is understanding the vehicles that you begin to operate in with the financial space and understanding fully how they work on your own and then have a financial advisor or someone within the financial industry explain it. Because if you understand how to effectively use the vehicle, then you'll know how to build out your T-chart based on your wants and needs, how to contribute and et cetera. Because there are some people who wanna invest in the stock market. There are other people who are fortunate to have a pension, which nowadays it's slim to none because a lot of companies aren't doing pensions. There are some who have fixed annuities. And um, now we have Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and so many things. But I always encourage people to do your own due diligence and research before you just chunk your money away at something and then be mad later on. So really understand the vehicle that you're getting ready to step into when it comes to the financial space and really ask questions. Ask questions, even if you think it's a stupid question, just ask the question because 99.9% if you had that question, someone did too. And always be open to go to financial seminars. I went to a lot of financial seminars early on in my career. A lot of times I was the youngest person there, but hey, I, I definitely don't want to make any mistakes. And, and that's really wise to, to do that. And so, yeah, I guess my advice to anyone who's, who's looking for this, so to your point, there's a lot of information out there. Where do you go? Because there's a lot of conflicting uh, information. So if you are more of a do-it-yourself or you're just starting out, um, I mean, there's, there's no shortage of ways to be able to get basic information about how to save. I think the premise really is this. It's like you had said, what's your why? What am I looking to do? What do I, what do I want to have happen? What's the uh, goal? And what, over what time do I want that to occur? And then think about how you're going to think and what you're going to feel once that happens. And then when it comes to engaging a person that can help give guidance. There's a plethora of options uh, there, but you know, always look for somebody who's going to have. Um, this is the probably the most difficult thing for people in this country, at least, because that's my experience. Is all right. Is it a good financial advisor? One of the biggest mistakes I always see people make is, well, you know, I know Jane from the office. 
Jane seems to do really well. She has a big house and a nice car. And Jane said she's doing X, Y, and Z. I'm going to do what Jane does. Well, you don't know the true story and you're not Jane. You're a totally different scenario. And so you have to think about it in the context of what works. And I've, I've had those kinds of conversations or I've heard those kinds of comments dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Like my neighbor did this. He told me about this. Well, the neighbor turns out they're in a totally different financial circumstance. And what they're doing is totally inappropriate for what this person should be doing. And, but that's just how things work. It's okay. I know my friend and this, that, and the other thing. We end up kind of looking for, you know, third-party validation or social proof that, all right, there's the choice that you're making is good, which is interesting because most choices are not rational. They are emotional. And then after the emotional choice is made, there are two to three things that most people will rationalize that were logic-based to rationalize and justify the choice that they made. And it's no different. I don't care whether you're buying something on Amazon or if you're choosing a financial advisor. My point is this, when you're looking for financial guidance, look for somebody who's going to focus on who you are first, because the words financial advisor are almost meaningless in today's world. It could be just a investment or insurance salesperson. And that's all they're looking to do is sell insurance and or investments. And they're just moving on to the next after that. It makes it so difficult to make a reasonable choice as to, all right, who's going to help me? So you just have to think about what your why is and what you need help on. I'm not saying that, you know, those people that sell investments and insurance are bad. They serve a purpose. It's for those who know exactly what they need and they're the provider of it. And so they have that service available to them to do that. But for more holistic and looking at everything else, you really need to work with a planner and somebody who's going to be a fiduciary. And what is a fiduciary? I mean, that, that it's like the other F word. It gets thrown around all over the place. Uh, simply, I heard it put, I didn't create this, but I heard it put that being a fiduciary is not only making a suit for you, it's making sure you look good in it too. So that, you know, so as a fiduciary, you're always making sure that that person makes the best choices that are in their best interest. And so that's the, probably the biggest divide between somebody who's not a fiduciary, who is essentially, um, you know, representing products or a firm that offers products. And they're just looking to, you know, handle that transaction to somebody who is responsible for everything. Right. Every choice, everything that you have needs to be considered to make sure that they're not just thinking about today's choice, but how those choices could impact them longer term. And so I could get into, I don't know, we don't have time for that today, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's, it's a difficult choice to make, but it starts with who is it that can connect with you to help you realize more about yourself and how money is going to help support what you want to do. Uh, overly simplified, but that's the essence of it. And thank you for sharing that, Eric. And for the call to action, um, I want you to plug your business name and if you're on any social media platforms for our audience to connect with you and any last sentence that you have. Sure. So people can find me I have, on my website. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. So the uh, First Step Wealth Planning is, is my firm. And so I'm a fee-only planner uh, and looking to really help people uh, make good choices, align all of their financial choices to what's most important to them, and really put them in a position where despite what happens and things that they can't control, like the economy and the market and world politics, that they have you know, a, you know, a very good chance of being able to meet those objectives given what they can't control. 
And is First Step of Wealth also your handle for Facebook and Instagram? It is. So, well, um, it's my, it, so it's me on LinkedIn. So uh, Eric Nero on LinkedIn uh, and at First Step Wealth on Facebook. And then uh, my webpage is uh, first-stepwealth.com. Amazing. And I want to thank you, Eric, for just coming on here today and sharing your value with the five, five F's whenever it comes to emotional value and relationship with money and just really unpacking that. We'll definitely have to have you back for a part two because there's so much more meat and potatoes that we can have. But our dinner date is coming to a close. <laughs> so I definitely want to encourage the audience to go tap in with you. All of your contact information will be in the show notes. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. We're on 40 plus platforms. You could also see the video of this recording on YouTube by typing in at Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp for the YouTube channel. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.